0: If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to John chapter 7. That's where we'll be in just a few minutes. Um... And as you're looking that up, I want to tell you a story about um, my youngest daughter, Macy. Uh, Macy's birthday was recently. (laughs) They always cringe when I do that. Um, Macy's Macy turned 12 just uh, not not too long ago. So uh, I was reflecting back on uh, on the last 12 years uh, together and remembering how her life started, uh, which which was pretty could have been. could have been an arrest. That's actually some things that were involved in the beginning. Uh, Sherry had had a, a little bit of trouble with the pregnancy for Macy, and there were some false alarms and bed rest, and and she just was very anxious to come into the world. And so we were making trips to the hospital on a fairly regular basis because we just never were sure if she was this time it was real or not. On one particular night, Sherry woke up and said, I th- we got to go to the hospital. So we left. And, but this seemed a little more urgent than normal. And, I, you know, this was not my first rodeo. We'd had three other kids. I kind of knew. So I could sense, okay, this, this time I think there's something different going on. So we got in the car. It was early in the morning. We lived probably 12 or 15 miles away from the hospital, and so we, you know, had the, somebody came and stayed with the other kids, and so we'd had to wait on that, so we already, we we were already running a little behind, and things were getting a little tense and a little anxious, and so I really did not want to deliver my fourth child myself, so we got in the car, and I was, I was going pretty fast, I mean, really fast, actually, down the road, trying to get to the hospital, and it's two or three o'clock in the morning, and uh, nobody's on the road, and so we're just going down the road. And all of a sudden behind me, there were lights. Yeah. So I got pulled over and I'm um, thinking, okay, you know, if there were ever, there was an excuse to break the law, this was it. But I, I've got to figure out how, what I'm going to say to the police officer as he comes up. And of course he comes up and he immediately, the first thing he asks is for, okay, so you've gotten tickets too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he, so he asked for that. And I, you know, and I say, to, I, I have them ready because I knew he was going to ask from experience. So I, I have, I'm ready, and I, I'm going to give them to him. And, and I say, officer, uh, he says, and of course, then the next thing he says, do you? Yeah. And I was going fast enough. There was a lot, I don't know if it's true in Florida, but it was true in Georgia where we're living. If you double the speed limit, you can go to jail. I mean, that's like, yeah, you go to jail. So I was at that point. Do you know how fast you're going? And I said, Yes. I said, officer, yes, I do know how fast I was going. I'm trying to get my wife to the hospital because she's going to have a baby. And he had his flashlight, you know, on my guard. And he took the flashlight and he put it over in the passenger seat. And he shined the light, you know, right on Cherry. Now, in this moment, the police officer had a choice to make. Okay? The law is clear. The law is clear. The situation that he found himself in in that moment put him in a decision where he was going to have to make a choice between the circumstance as he saw it and the law as he understood it. And so he was faced with a choice. I, in the moment, was entirely helpless. There was nothing I could do. Everything depended on this guy's choice. I want to ask you a question. What do you do when you find yourself in a position where the decision between A and B isn't as clean cut as you want it to be? I know for for people like me, and there are many of you who are like me, I I really, really like black and white. I I like that. I like things to know. I like to know, okay, here's, here's what you do in this situation. Here's A, B, C, and B always follows A, and C always follows B, and this is what you do. I like that. I'm comforted by that. But if I'm honest with you, and if you're honest with me, if you feel that same way, there are lots of times in life, lots of situations and circumstances that come up where it is not that clear. The circumstances seem to contradict what you know to be right and true and the process and the law and all kinds of things that we sort of build in our minds and our hearts that this is the right thing to do. This is what the law says to do. This is what the right thing to do is. But this circumstance... There's something about this situation, there's something about this circumstance that causes me some tension and I've got to make a decision here. And it almost appears as if whatever decision I make, it may not be the right one. You know, what do you do when it's not clear what the next right thing is? What do you do? I want to look at this passage of scripture where Jesus talks to some religious leaders and a crowd of people who are gathered up, and this very subject comes up, and it's so pertinent pertinent to us today because we live in a culture where things seem to get murky and gray really easily and really quickly. There's so much information and so many opinions and you're exposed to so, so many different views that for the Christian you can say, you, you can say, well, I just, I want to believe that that what I've been taught and what the Bible says, I want to believe that I can just always just apply exactly what those words are to this situation and it'll always work out. But we find ourselves in situations where it sometimes It appears murky and gray. What do we do? I want us to talk about a principle today that's really dangerous. It's a very, very dangerous principle. But it's a principle that Jesus not only taught, but he demonstrated many times throughout the course of his ministry. And I want to say this up front. This principle that Jesus taught is so dangerous that I am honestly very nervous about teaching it to you today. Because there are a couple things that happen with this principle. There's one, one, one thing in particular that happens with this principle is people take the principle and they abuse it to justify all kinds of bad behavior and immoral choices. But the problem is if you don't teach the principle, the alternative is a form of legalism That everybody looks at and recognizes and knows, I know that what you're doing is exactly what the Bible says to do, but something about it seems so contrary to the character and nature of Jesus that I have a hard time believing that it's right. What do you do in those situations and circumstances? This principle is what got Jesus killed. I'm convinced of that. There were lots of reasons why the Jews were mad at Jesus. He claimed to be God. They didn't like that. But there have been other people who claimed to be God. But this principle, I believe, so challenged the religious establishment that they could not coexist with this teaching as it was being perpetuated by Jesus and their religious system as they had set it up. So they had a choice to make. They could either change their religious system or they could kill Jesus. And so they decided to kill Jesus because of this principle. John chapter 7 at the beginning of the of the passage we find Jesus is back in his hometown and he is there with his brothers most of his followers had left him so he was down to pretty much just his core group of 12 disciples. The others had all kind of abandoned him. And so here he is back in, Jeru- back, in Jude- back in Galilee with his brothers. There's a big feast coming up in Jerusalem. His brothers suggest to Jesus, hey, let's work on repairing your reputation. Let's get some followers back. You need to go to Jerusalem to this big festival, perform some great miracles, wow people, and then people will start following you again. Jesus said, eh, no thanks. You guys go on. I'm not going. Well, Jesus, in fact, did go back to Jerusalem to this festival, but he went in secret. And after he'd been there for a while, this festival went on probably for eight days. After he'd been there for a while, he makes himself known. And this is what happens as he sort of reveals himself uh, after having hidden for the first part of the festival. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Now, they were definitely amazed by his teaching, but there's something else to this question that's important for you to understand. That this question carries the idea, who gave him the right to say these things? Like, what authority does he have to say this? Because this teaching that he's giving us seems to fly in the face of everything that we stand for as 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 a religious group of people, as people who abide by the law. This seems to fly against everything we've understood. So, so who gave him the authority? What right does he have? That's what's behind the question. So Jesus answered them. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Now, what Jesus basically was saying is, here, you guys can't understand the source of my teaching or that my teaching is right— Until you submit yourself to the person that that gave the teaching who is ultimately God the Father. Until your desire is to do the will of God, you can never understand the ways of God. And you will never understand the truth as long as your primary purpose is to seek your own glory. As long as you're after just making yourself known, you will never understand that what I'm saying is true. And until you, until you kill your own desires and your own will and seek only the, the, the desires and the will of God, you will never understand nor will you ever accept that what I am telling you is true. But, the, but the, obvi- the, the inverse of that is also true. If you seek God's will first, this is what we talked about last week, if you seek God's will first, then all of a sudden the things I'm teaching you will make perfect sense. I think what Jesus said to them is exactly true for us today. That this principle that Jesus is getting ready to talk about, that he talked about many other times, is very difficult to understand if your desire is to do your will. But if your desire is to do God's will, it makes sense. This, this principle that he's going to teach, that he's going to talk about, it doesn't make any sense if your desire is for you to look good. But if your desire is for God to look good, it makes perfect sense. So, so, so what happens next? So, here here's, here's, he gets into the law. Here's what he says, verse 19 Has not Moses given you the law? Now, to understand this, the Jews, the law was everything. I mean, if this was a gift from God. We hear law and we think negative immediately, but that is not what they thought. The law was a gift from God, and it was a gift in order for them to experience freedom and whole, wholeness, that they could be connected with God in a healthy way, that they could be connected with each other in a healthy way. It was the instruction book. I mean, they looked at this, and they, they thought to themselves, if we could just follow the law perfectly. They had had lots of examples down through Jewish history where their ancestors had not followed the law perfectly, and it never turned out well. They're, they got carried off into slavery. The nation lost its staff. And so the Pharisees in Jesus' day had decided, hmm, well, that means if we just follow the letter of the law, if we just do exactly what the law says, then we will get from God what we deserve to get from God. Very dangerous. Very dangerous teaching. And listen, listen, please listen. There are so many, so many, so many churches that will still tell you that today. And they will reduce God to a slot machine that if you put the right thing in the slot machine, then you can expect to get what you deserve out of the slot machine. That is a very dangerous teaching because it puts us in the place of God. Do you see the idolatry behind that? That, that suddenly, if I believe that if I just follow these laws exactly like they're written, then I control God. Then the question is who is God in this situation? But this is what they thought Did not Moses give you the law? Now, here it comes. This was so incredibly offensive to them. Yet none of you keep the law, you fail. I mean, the, the number one thing that you try to do in your life, follow all the rules, get it right all the time, you have failed. Now, listen, these people to whom Jesus was, were, was talking in this story, they, are, they were better than every single one of us. I'm, 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 I'm serious. They kept the law better than any of us in this room keep the law. I mean, they did everything, everything right. Right. To the point that when they tithed, they would go to their herbs and they would count out the grains of their herbs to make sure that one-tenth of everything was turned in. Because the law says, you give one-tenth to the Lord. I mean, they were so good, we can't even begin to get close to their goodness. And Jesus said to them, every one of you have broken the law. And then to prove that they had broken the law, listen to what he said. This is so fascinating. Why do you seek to kill me? Why do you seek to kill me? Now, with this statement, Jesus is saying something really interesting because he's calling them lawbreakers, and the example he's using isn't action they have taken, it's an intent of their heart. Because, see, they had, in fact, in their heart, intended to kill Jesus. We know from uh, John chapter 5, verse 18, That after Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, that John reports to us that the Jews began to seek ways to kill Jesus. John chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus left Jerusalem because they were seeking to kill him. Jesus knew the intent of their heart, and so Jesus calls them out and says, so you are all lawbreakers. Here's an example of how you're breaking the law. You're trying to kill me. You're planning to kill me. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? Now, this, basically, they're just saying, you're crazy, Jesus. Now, they'd make this charge many, many more times. You're crazy. And because they're saying, well, look, we don't, we're not, we've not tried to kill you, but Jesus understood their heart. He understood what was really going on. Th- this raises the law to a whole new level. There are some people who want to believe that Jesus was the first one to teach some sort of moral relativism. That, that actually, you know, you just apply the law as it feels good and right to you in the moment. This is what the Jews had done. I mean, even back in the times of Moses, when Moses had given the law, Jesus told them, because they were, at this at Jesus' day, you think, you think marriage is in trouble today? It was really in trouble in the first century. I mean, their were, they were, divorce was rampant. And Jesus called out the Jewish leaders, who were themselves, many of them divorced, but they had followed the law in their divorce proceedings, by giving their spouse a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said, you don't even understand. This was never God's intention. But he gave, you, he gave you divorce. He made provisions divorce because of your heart being so twisted and so turned. But see, they were following the letter of the law and the way they were choosing to live. And, and, and so he goes on and he says, listen, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intents already committed adultery in his heart. Man, suddenly, suddenly Jesus doesn't dumb down the law to make excuses. Jesus dials it up. When he said, you are trying to kill me, It was as if they had already committed murder. Why? Because Jesus said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed murder. How many murders have you committed this week? Come on. I mean, if you want to start, if you want to live your life by following the letter of the law, Jesus says, come on, I'll give you the law. I'll give it to you. Because it's going to go much deeper than just your behavior. It's going to go deep into your heart and the intentions of your heart. And do any of us want to go there? No, we don't want to go there, do we? And Jesus said, the only way for you to follow the law perfectly, the only way for you to follow the law perfectly, is for you to follow it in your heart. You see, your behavior, anybody can manipulate their behavior. Anybody can modify their behavior. I mean, it's like... I mean, th- this isn't true of my children, but maybe it's true of your children. The times when, the times when you, you say, all right, I want, I want you to take out the trash. And they're going to... And they're, stopping, and they're taking out the trash. And they take the trash out. You as a parent, are you happy with the way they took the trash out? Do you think in that moment they were acting obediently? They were not acting obediently. But did, did they do what you told them to do? Absolutely. And see, what Jesus says is it's not good enough for you to physically act out the law and have a heart that's totally unchanged. This is, this is such big, important teachings. And so, so we've got two basic ideas or two challenges when it comes to this teaching of Jesus. But one response that we have to this is, well, why try? And there are a lot of people who have, who have decided that there's no good. There's no point in trying. I mean, I can't do it. And guess what? They're right. They can't. They can't do it. And so they give up and they just say, I might as well give in to every urge. I might as well give in to every temptation. I might as well give in to every desire because there's no way I can ever, ever do that. The other option, and this is the one that I think so many of us choose, is to go through the law and sort of pick out those things that we're good at. And then those things become what we hold up and say, this is the law, but those things I'm not so good at, let's have a lot of grace about that. Okay, I mean, I really like I really like the law when it applies to something I do well. Like, I, I really, I really don't find it tempting to steal. I don't, fi- you know, I don't find that tempting at all. So let's really talk about thieves because th- I don't, you know, th- I can't understand why anybody would steal, and, and they ought to be, you know, th- that that ought to be there ought to be a, there ought to be some some results, some penalties associated with stealing. But let's not talk about greed because, or covetousness, because there's a lot of things that I look at that other people have that I want. And yet God doesn't make a distinction between those. So we pick and choose the laws that we're gonna look at and that we're going to apply. Here's what's so amazing about the teachings of Jesus. Here's what's so fascinating about him in every encounter he had. And John set this whole idea up for us back in the first chapter. He said in John chapter one, verse 14, that we've seen the glory of God as it was revealed in Jesus Christ. And it came to us Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. That Jesus never watered down the law or lowered the expectations. He never diluted the law in order to demonstrate grace. See, because apart from a person recognizing how they have fallen short of God's glory, they can never fully appreciate God's grace. The only times in my life I've ever fully appreciated God's grace is when I knew I had blown it big time. As long as I was trying to justify my behavior and justify my actions, I never sensed God's grace because I never believed I needed it. So Jesus came full of grace and truth. You see, here's what you need to know. Your sin, no matter what it is, and it might not, you might think, well, this sin doesn't even hurt anybody else. I mean, it's just, it's just... Whatever it is, it doesn't even bother. Nobody even knows about it. Can I tell you, your sin is worse than you think it is. It is worse than you believe it is. And God's grace is better than you could ever hope for. Those two things go together. So the religious leaders that Jesus was encountering here, they were, st- they were still upset really over one thing that Jesus had done back in chapter 5 when he'd healed a man on the Sabbath. And Jesus is amazed that they're, that they're still holding on to this thing. And so Jesus is going to, he, he uses several stories, several encounters in the Gospels, talk about this principle That we're going to get to in just a second. And one of them is right here in this passage. In John chapter 7. As he's addressing them in verse 21. He says, Jesus answered them, I did one work. And you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but it was from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Now, th- this, is, this gets into sort of some technical aspects of the Jewish law at the time. But the Jews found themselves early on in one of those situations where what's the right thing to do? Because on one hand, the law said, thou shalt not work on the Sabbath. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Don't do any work. That was a critical law for them. But on the other hand, they'd been given this law that on the eighth day, every baby boy was to be circumcised. So what do you do when the eighth day falls on the Sabbath? Okay, they found themselves in a quandary. What do we do? Well, to resolve that issue, they had decided, they had come to the conclusion uh, long, long ago, even in the days of Moses, they had said, okay, well, if a, ch- if a baby boy needs to be circumcised on the Sabbath, that is okay. In other words, you can break one law, in order to uphold another. It's okay. So listen to what Jesus said. This is so brilliant. This is brilliant. This is why the teachings of Jesus rise so above any other moral teacher or philosopher in the world. This is, right, this is one of the reasons why. Here's what he said. He said, If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may, be, may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a whole body well? because that's what he had done. This guy had been lame for 38 years and he made him well. And he's saying, "Okay, you're going to you're going to break the law of Moses to uphold the law of Moses for one part of the human anatomy when I was trying to address the entire person." Is that really so bad? Another passage similar to this. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says the same thing. He, he, he's, uh, he comes across a man. It's the Sabbath day. This man is sick. He's very, very sick. Jesus has got some Pharisees around him. And here's what he says. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? I mean, that's a pretty straightforward question. Is it law? I mean, you guys want to live by the law all the time. So let's play by your rules. Is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath or not? But they, but they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into the well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. In other words, this was also accepted Jewish law. If your ox had fallen in a ditch and it was the Sabbath, you were allowed to get the ox out of the ditch when I was a boy my grandmother I used to remember my grandmother used to say well the ox in the ditch and I used to think to myself we don't even have an ox what is she talking about and then I found it was actually in the bible And it's this idea that there are circumstances that come up that cause us to adjust our normal pattern of living. There are circumstances that rise up. This is getting to the principle of what Jesus is talking about. He he did it in some other ways too. Uh, You remember in Mark chapter 2, 27, Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, man was not designed and built in order to keep all these laws, but these laws were designed in order to benefit mankind. There was another parable that Jesus told that I think we so often misinterpret i mean it's you know you can interpret god's ways a lot God, god's word a lot of different ways this parable in particular we miss this teaching remember the parable of the good samaritan I'll just tell you, tell you a little bit about it. If you want to read it on your own, you can look it up in Luke chapter 10 later. But in this parable, um, there's a man who's beaten up and stripped and he's left for dead on the side of the road and a religious person walks by like a, a, a priest and he comes up down the road and he's, he walks way on the other side of the road to get away from the guy who's laying there. And then there's a scribe that comes by and another person that comes by. Three well thought of people. And finally, Jesus says, but then a Samaritan who's just like hated. I mean, they're like no." Everybody likes the Samaritans. Everybody hates them and they're good for nothings. The Samaritan comes up and actually gets down and ministers to the guy and helps him and, and make sure he's going to be okay. And Jesus asked the question, who, who was this man's neighbor? In other words, who did the right thing? Now, before we all say, well, obviously the Samaritan did the right thing. Not so fast. Because if you go back and you read the letter of the law, it was illegal for a priest to be contaminated by the blood of a person. Or to be contaminated by a corpse. And this guy, Jesus clearly said, was left for dead. So when the priest is walking by, is he keeping the law by skirting around this guy in order to remain pure? Or is he violating the law by ignoring somebody who's in need? See, Jesus says it's not that easy, is it? I mean, we look at those three guys, those, the religious leaders, and we say, well, they're, what a bunch of losers. They should have helped that guy. But what were they doing? They were following the letter of the law. And Jesus says, this this is part of the issue. This is what's going on. So Jesus argues that the life of this man was more important than that that of a farm animal. This guy that he'd healed. Listen, the the, the people are more important than products. When are you guys going to get this? Your ox is not more important than this man who's been lame for 38 years. And that the entire body is more important than just one part of it. That people are more important than policies. That ultimately what matters to God most are people. Do you know why they matter to God so much? Do you know how he proved it? That he gave his life for them. Saying that people are what matter the most see the problem wasn't that the jews were committed to the law but it was their lack of compassion for the people the law was intended to protect and to bless and jesus by his teachings jesus by his actions was advocating for the sacredness the value of every single person and he's also taking a swipe at anybody who would seek to use the law to manipulate and control other people i'm so glad nobody does that anymore See, God's laws are not given to control people but to serve as a guard and a guide for the people that God loves. And listen, when we choose to hide behind the letter of the law in order to justify breaking the intent of the law, we are the worst kind of religious people there are. And here's here's what's so fascinating to me. When When we're the guy laying on the side of the road, or when our ox is in the ditch, or when we've been lame for 38 years, or our family member has been lame for 38 years, it becomes very easy, doesn't it? When we're the one in that situation, it's easy for us to look at and say, say, I understand what the law says, but there's something else going on here that seems to uphold a, a higher value and principle. It's easy for us when we're in that situation, but what about when we're not in that situation? You see, perhaps your ox has been in the ditch since your company downsized and you lost your job. And the ox was in the ditch. Maybe your ox was in the ditch when your spouse left and never came back. Maybe your ox fell in the ditch when your child began to live a rebellious lifestyle. Maybe your ox fell in the ditch. And when your ox is in the ditch, suddenly the details of the Sabbath laws don't matter to you, do they? But what do you do? What do you do when you're in this situation and you seem to be caught? And then Jesus gives the answer. And I'm not, I'm not sure. I've struggled with how helpful this answer is. But look what he said in John chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In other words, what you're seeing may not be all the information you need to make the right decision. You judge based on righteousness, not just on the way something appears to you. See, in my black and white world, it's easy for me to pass judgment. And I do it all the time. Come on, you do too. You do too. You look at situations and scenarios and you immediately know that's wrong. They shouldn't do that. But do you really know what's going on? Do you really know the whole story? There was, a, there was a, an encounter that Jesus had in John chapter 8. Um, and I'm, this story, it's, if some of your Bibles may even mark it as it's not in the earliest texts of the Bible. And we're going we're gonna to look at this story just, just now, and we're, we're not going to get to it later. But I want to look at this story because I believe uh, this passage, John 8, 1 through 11, this passage really exemplifies what Jesus is saying. And you're, it's a familiar story. There's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. Remember this? And the religious leaders find her. Committing, find her in the act of adultery and they bring her to Jesus by herself because she was committed adultery all by herself. (laughs) So they bring her to Jesus and they cast her down in front of Jesus and they say, the law of Moses says that this woman should be stoned because she was committing adultery, she was caught red-handed. Get out the stones, Jesus. We're gonna stone her. What do you say we ought to do? Jesus. I mean, we're going to talk, you're going to talk, I mean, this, after he had sort of confronted them about the murky situations of a man who needed to be healed, the, the Pharisees were just saying, let's make it a little simpler for you. We caught this woman in adultery. Now what are you going to say? Now where's your grace? Now where's your grace and truth? Because here's a situation where you can't have both. You can't have both grace and truth, Jesus. So what are you going to do, Jesus? Jesus gets down, starts writing in sand. And we don't know what he wrote. I would love to know what he wrote. (laughs) It's on my list to ask. What was he writing? But he was writing there and Jesus said to them, he said, he said, all right, have it your way. Absolutely. It's what the law of Moses says. And let the first one of you that doesn't have any sin cast the first stone. And then he just goes back and starts doodling in the sand again. And what happens? They all start dropping their stones and walking away. Why? Because they were justifying or accepting the woman's bad behavior? No. (laughs) Because they recognized they were no different than she is. And then Jesus turns to the woman and said, where are your accusers? She says, I don't they're, they're, They're all gone. He says, then neither do I accuse you. Do you know the only one who had the right to throw the stone was Jesus? And he chose not to do it and then he said and this is this part is so important because if you've heard everything i've said and you're like yes i finally can i'm justified in my bad moral choices <laughs> Because that's why this teaching is so dangerous. That's why they crucified Jesus. Because Jesus held this teaching up and people looked at this teaching and said, well, you are advocating licentious lifestyles. You are advocating that people can live and choose their own morality and that it's based on their own desires and that circumstances dictate that. And we believe God's word dictates that. And Jesus said, I believe that too. So he turned to the woman and he said, go and See she had sinned. <laughs> I mean sin is sin that's part of it. Jesus was willing to call sin sin but he was also willing to recognize that there was a higher moral truth there was something else that was more important. And here's what it is. And it's pretty simple. Because Jesus was asked one time, so what's the most important commandment then? This was something that rabbis were asked all the time because they understood that there were times where laws, Moses' laws, were in conflict with each other. So we need a priority list. We need to know what's important. And when Jesus was asked this question, he said, without hesitating, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God first. In other words, if God said this is the way to live, whether you like it or not, part of loving him is by living that way. There is a moral standard. And then he said in the second one, And the guy said, I didn't ask you the second one. No, but I'm going to tell you the second one. (laughs) Because you can't separate the first and the second one. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said something that is so unbelievable. Because all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything hinges on this. And now you can't get those two out of order. Because if you love people more than you love God, you'll compromise God's values all day long. And you'll suddenly start saying everything's okay that God's word says is not okay. And you'll diminish his grace by not recognizing his moral standard. Did you get that? Does that make sense? Okay, so you love God first and then you love people. That the highest value is love. Paul said in First Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels but have not love, I am Nothing. He said, he said, and if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all knowledge and all mysteries, but have not love, I am nothing. If I surrender my body to the flame and give all I possess to the poor, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, love is the essential law for everything that Jesus commanded, everything that God commanded. This is why Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 13, he said, here, let me tell you something. I'm going to give you a new commandment. And they're like, okay, we're ready for it. This is going to be good. We've been waiting for this. Love one another. Like, that's not new. Love one another the way I have loved you, so you also should love one another. By this will everybody know that you're my disciples, that you live upstanding moral lives, that you never steal, that you never cheat, that you never tell a lie. No. <laughs> because Jesus knew these guys were going to do all of that before he was even crucified. This is how they'll know you're my disciples. That you love one another. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law, the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant and any other commandment are summed up in this sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. See, this teaching is challenging in a real world in which we live. So the police officer had a choice to make. He, he could follow the letter of the law. But you all know he didn't do that. Of course he didn't do that. He actually said, turn your hazards on and follow me. And we went even faster. <laughs> My favorite driving experience ever. Why? Why can we look at that situation and see it and understand it, but then we look at, our, we, we look at situations around us all the time and we don't understand the same principle is at play? Here's my challenge for you, and we'll close. There are situations and circumstances and people in your life right now who are breaking all kinds of laws. They have even broken laws, not just against God, but against you. They violated you And and you've got a choice to make in this instance. You can cast the stone or you can understand that you at one time were that person dragged in front of Jesus. Isn't it funny how the whole world will turn on you when you break a law? And, And so all the world maybe has turned on you in some way and you found yourself in that position and what you wanted in that moment was grace. That's what you wanted. That's what you needed. And so the challenge for you, the challenge for me, is what are we going to do? How are we going to live this law out in the real world in which we find ourselves? I think this is the greatest challenge of the church In the 21st century. And you know what? I think it was the greatest challenge of the church in every century, because it was the greatest challenge that the religious people had in Jesus' day, is to live in the tension between grace and truth. Will you pray with me? Father, today as we we, um, take on what I believe is one of the most difficult principles that Jesus ever taught us, Um, I recognize, Lord, and know that um, this principle can be misinterpreted for all kinds of selfish reasons. I've misinterpreted it for selfish reasons myself, but Lord, I pray today that this principle will fall on people with all the weight of the truth that you teach and all the power of the grace that you showed. Father, for those who are here today who find themselves denying their own sin, justifying their own sin, I pray that they would come face to face with, with, in fact, how bad their sin is lord so that they might understand how great your grace is father for those who are here today who feel defeated who feel exposed condemned father today may they experience the love and the forgiveness of jesus and lord i thank you for the hope that we have in him that he was willing to take all of our sins on the cross in order that we might be free father for anybody here today who's not experienced that freedom, I pray that even today it would be the day. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.